Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in for the penultimate time this year, Chris Anderson. Chris, always look forward to a Texas or an Oklahoma popping up on the schedule. If you're West Virginia a fan or someone who's just interested in, I guess, the still evolving Big 12 experience. And this to me feels like the least anticipated of a Texas-Oklahoma matchup. Even though we can attach some stakes to this, this is an elimination game. The loser cannot advance to a bowl game. Believe it or not, uh, both teams 4-6 and six overall, 2-5 and five in the conference, two-game losing streak for West Virginia, five-game losing streak for the Longhorns. Only one can survive Saturday at noon on ESPN2. Good. That was a pretty good job hyping up a, a game between two, four, and six teams, Mike. I'm trying, man. <laughs> I'm really trying. Like, basketball season's underway. There's there's good hoops on TV. There are some fun football games to watch here. And then there's, again, just it feels like to me a watered-down visit by the Big 12's biggest brand where there still is something attached. You kind of have to close your eyes and, and imagine a little bit. And ultimately, six wins doesn't really cut it for either one of these teams. Definitely Texas and realistically not West Virginia right now. But what happens if either one of these doesn't get to six wins? That's a whole other conversation. But one of them is going to have to entertain that as soon as Saturday afternoon. Um, Similar stakes for two teams that are always on different footing. um, But that's something they have in common right now. Yeah, you know what else they have in common? I found this pretty interesting when I was I was talking to uh, to Taylor Estes from our Texas site Horns two four seven. I I was asking her about the season and she she kind of broke down what had gone wrong for the Longhorns this year. I mean obviously there's a lot right up near the top of the list. She said one of the issues is they play not to lose. Sound like anybody else you know, Mike? Very familiar. Um, something else, Texas massive attrition. Um, doing part to a lot of coaching changes, position, head coach, um, really thin at this stage of the season because of injuries, and and you could pencil in similar descriptions for West Virginia too. You're really only as good as your roster. Everybody thinks, and I'm guilty of saying it this week, Texas has it easier because Texas is Texas. Um, Texas can pretend it's Texas, and Texas can act like it's Texas, but quality doesn't matter if you lack quantity at a certain point because you start picking off quantity, you're going to rob yourself of quality. They really have some plugs that they're trying to put into holes this late in the season. Same story for the Mountaineers. So when do we get our stripper monkey biting a child story? Oh, you know what? Three minutes in, I was wondering the over-under <laughs> as to whether or not we would get to Jeff Banks because we're probably talking about the special teams. He's a special teams coordinator. Um, yeah, so here's the point I made this week that like, (laughs) at least like, like Texas, West Virginia, Kansas, West Virginia, this is not November football that you want. If you're West Virginia, certainly Texas and maybe Kansas doesn't want it, but it's nevertheless accustomed to, but man, at least Kansas and Texas are fun. And the drawback on West Virginia is it's not fun. And And it's really hard to rally up support for this right now but texas is at least fun they can score 70 on texas tech they go to overtime they play exciting football at the minimum they've been in these games they score a lot of points save a 30 to 7 loss to iowa state and then by the way you got players releasing tape secret recordings of assistant coaches just cursing out the players you got a in-practice blow up between the, I don't know, a top receiver and the head coach that was so bad that a lot of people rushed to tell the media. And you have pole assassin, a violent monkey, a child getting bit on Halloween, and a very jealous Mike Casaza. <laughs> what I would do to have, and this is obviously not happened, but this is the equivalent, if I, if I made it the West Virginia version, 
Jeff Koons leaving his wife, marrying a stripper, and the stripper having a monkey that performs on stage that they also have at their house when children come over for a Halloween party and said monkey bites a child. That is what happened in Austin, Texas. I, For those of you who avoid the, the dregs of social media, this is one of those few good ones you missed because this, this was a good evening on Twitter when that story started breaking. Like We just had the transfer portal. <laughs> and like concussions and things like that, which are sad and, and newsworthy and all that. I understand it, but like, damn it, give me something fun. Like, give me, I want, I want something scandalous. Like I've covered plenty of scandal. This is not scandalous. I'm sad. Kind of wish this. Uh, the monkey is also a star in the monkey industry. Don't forget, the monkey's been on TV, I believe, too. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a celebrity monkey. I mean, the the things we could do with SEO off of stripper monkey bite. With this, it's 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 good for business. It's good for business. I'm a I'm gonna issue a challenge for the fans, and it's not to show up. I don't care if you do or you don't. The product in the field doesn't satisfy you. Probably aren't coming to the game. I'm cool with that. If you are coming, kudos to you. But man, make a sign worth it. There's a lot of fun you could have with horns down and monkeys and things like that. Uh, this may be your last chance to get Texas at home, ever. Ever think about that. They might not be in the league in 2023. In fact, I suspect that's not going to be something that's going to happen. So this is your last chance. And if you can't get up to rain down insults on Texas, a pole assassin, a monkey, furtive recordings, players blowing up on coaches, my God, like you have a chance right now to make some some serious social media splash because people will be sharing these things if you find them. Um, and again, this is, you know, once around right now, you may not get Texas at home ever again. That's a reality that we probably have to wrap our head around. I haven't really done that until seeing the words come out of my mouth right now. Man, that's a bummer. But I don't care if you show up. If you show up, man, make it count. Make your seat matter, right? Because you have a unique opportunity right now. It's not only Texas, but the thing about it, too, is everybody loves to pile on Texas. You could be the meanest, crudest, uh, most acerbic poster board bearer out there. And people are going to take your side because people love to pile on Texas. It's fun. Not gonna lie, it's fun. It's not bad. Yeah, I'm just glad we got a little, you know, something a little different than Texas's back jokes. So mm-hmm. it's good. God bless him because that was getting old too. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, just what to say. I don't know. Um, let's let's get into the game and, and the team here too. I think people would often say in this profession of coaching that you would love to have the problems that Texas has because you could solve the problems with the luxuries that Texas has. We have seen this blow up spectacularly for quite some time. They haven't gotten it right since Mac Brown left. When you look at what Mac Brown has done or has tried to do at Texas, you often wonder if maybe the clowns are running the circus sometimes here. I think they have a really good athletic director. I'm not out on Steve Sarkeesian at all, but there's a lot of people there who have sway and who have a voice and they can make this thing really jiggle while it's even maybe on track. Um, and this is still a team that is a fourth and one play away from beating Oklahoma this year, despite holding a big lead, loses that game. Um, that started a five game losing streak here. And again, just big roster issues here too. Um, I don't know. Would you trade if you're another team, would you trade your problems for Texas or are they so steep right now that they're, they're pretty average because they have average solutions to common problems. Winning always solves the problem and talent always helps winning, but the dysfunction within the coaching staff and the athletic department and the fact that this is brand new, you know, this is year one, like this isn't, uh, some guy in year three of a four-year contract and you can get out without much of an issue. Now, money's never been an issue for Texas, but you're talking about, you know, starting over for what, the third time, fourth time in like six years, something mm-hmm. like that, the way they've been doing turnover with coaches there. And that that kind of turnstile, that kind of turnover and turmoil constant is is a problem that I don't think many people would want. But if there's one place of a handful of places that can get out of that turmoil, it's Texas. Just because blue chip, history, money, recruiting grounds, they'll have the talent. And if they get the right people in there, and and that's key, you have to get the right people. Like I'm talking coaching staffs, coach, coaches, coaching staffs. Um, 
that's what's going to make that that program turn around quickly. Problem is, they have to have the person in charge who can make the right decisions to hire those guys, and that seems to be a problem because they have just turned through coaches with problems left and right on the football field. Yeah, and there's going to be like a bloodlust there this year. If they go 4-8 or 5-7, and seven, um, I, honestly, even if they make a bowl game, it's not going to be good enough there. They hired Alabama's offensive coordinator. Like, that's going to be a big deal. Sarkeesian has not the best record, and he's been at elite places before, too. I don't know how much of the rub from Alabama's success you can give to him, but if you look at what he did at USC, granted, some personal things got involved there for sure, and who knows? I'm not saying that maybe he wasn't as good or he isn't as good as people project to be, but I was looking at some of his numbers just like for his career, and, and they're they're not even average or below average. And one thing that really alarmed me was um, his record as the head coach. So um, when he allows 40 or more points, one in 18, that means 19 times in 91 games as a head coach, he's allowed 40 or more points. One in every five Shoot. games, you're one in every five games, you're giving up a 40. Um, and you think it's easier to overcome those at USC and Texas, where he's been a head coach. Washington, too, no shortage of talent if you're the head coach at Washington. Um, and yet, that's a that's the thing that makes you wonder about the brand of football he's playing. You know, complement one side with the other. And those are teams that should have good defenses. Like, again, it's it's not hard to do things um, successfully at a place that has what Texas has or has what USC has. And I think a lot of people would like to have problems that, you know, as far as luxuries and and, and trinkets and accessories that Washington has, too. But that hasn't been great. And you, you just wonder how much of that is going to bleed into what's going on here right now. Um, a lot of makeup on his resume from the time spent in Alabama. But, you know, how many of those Alabama, I don't know what you want to call them, interns, <laughs> reclamation <laughs> projects? Have gone on to do very well. You know, jury's out on, on guys like Lane Kiffin or Bill O'Brien. We'll see. But Sarkeesian right now, not off to a great start. But again, you wonder what type of a situation he walked into there. Um, and and they're, they're talking about bringing in 30-something new players next year. So how quickly will this turn around? I don't know. They're going to have to recruit really well. They probably will. But, man, if you bring in a bunch of new assistant coaches because, again, you know, the clowns run the circus, that's not going to be good. That's going to make it a step back before you can make a big step forward and Someone's got to grab a firm grip of the wheel here and make sure this thing stays, you know, right of the buoys and, and that they don't run aground on problems that they really easily could because they have in the past, too. So for a lot of reasons, this is a big game because if they, if they lose to West Virginia on the road, just aesthetically, that's going to be bad. And if they take their seventh loss to a team like WVU that a team like Texas is going to look down their nose upon, that offseason is going to be difficult there, I'm sure. Absolutely. I think it. It's funny to me because when the Vegas lines came out on Sunday and it said West Virginia was a favorite, I was a little bit caught off guard. I mm -hmm. honestly wasn't sure what to think of what that line would be, given the state of both programs, some key injuries for Texas. Um, and, and, you know, who knows? And, and I, I didn't know what it was going to be. I figured it'd be three points one way or the other, somewhere within that three-point range. And But then you saw some of the, you know, I tweeted it, and the reaction from some Texas people, not the professional Texas people, not the people right for our Texas site, but Texas fans that saw that, it, it was a joke to them that they were that they would be an underdog to West Virginia, even given the fact that they just lost five games in a row, including one to Kansas. It was a joke to them. And I think that that kind of tells you that you mentioned if they go to West Virginia and lose this game, even though West Virginia is technically the favorite, they both have the same records. They're both kind of on equal footing as far as how this season is going. It's still going to be a devastating loss for Texas if they lose one, this one. After losing to Kansas, too. Think about that. Yeah. Um, I, I, too, was surprised by the line. The line has grown to three and three and a half in some spots, too. So people are probably seeing some injury news that has been cemented since then. Big ones. B. John Robinson being the marquee one there, too. So that's not going to help the point spread leaning back in Texas's favor. However, that team scores. Like and and like I don't I don't care. Like they're gonna have they're gonna have I think if you lose your star running back against West Virginia, that's not a major thing because I just don't think you can run the ball exceptionally against West Virginia. That okay, I've been proven wrong a couple of times, but I still think that like you're gonna beat West Virginia through the air. You're gonna hit big plays and be able to complete passes when you have to. And that's what they do. Um so that's that's certainly an issue. Uh, but before we even get into the matchups, kind of let me spin off a question here that I just kind of posed there. 
losing to West Virginia would be bad for Texas. What is the state of Texas in that? What does a win for West Virginia mean on Saturday? Is it one of those things? Well, yeah, well, Texas kind of stinks or heck yeah, five and six just beat Texas. I don't think there'll be that much excitement because of the five and six thing, but I think all things being equal, beating Texas is still beating Texas, even if Texas is four and six. Yeah, beating them like West Virginia did in 2012 when they were both ranked inside the top 10, that was obviously a bigger deal. This won't be quite as big of a deal, but this is something that they will talk about. This is something that I don't want to say Neil Brown would hang his hat on, but it's certainly something he's going to remind people of. Uh, he won't bring up the fact Texas is four and six. He won't point out that they've lost now six in a row if they end up losing this game. Mm-hmm. But it'll it, it'll come up and it'll be mentioned. It'll be mentioned to recruits. It'll be mentioned to players, um, and, and it'll be something that they're kind of proud of. And 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 honestly, you know, I'm not going to blame them for being proud of that. But um, that is what I I imagine it would come out as afterwards if West Virginia wins the game. Yeah, they're three and one. Excuse me, they're one and three against Texas at Mountaineer Field. Uh, three and two at Texas. And and again, if you never get them again, or if you never get them here again, that's a good send off. But forget grandeur, legacy, whatever of Texas. The fact that Texas isn't good and you win that game, that means you won a game you should. And even if you punch out of your weight class a little bit, WVU hasn't done that very well very often either. So I don't think you'd be apologizing for that one. And at this point, you really can't be picky about wins. Take them no matter what. Heck, cheer them because if you don't win Saturday, then. Here comes the offseason, which is not going to be fun. Um, let's get into it here. You want to start on offense or defense for the Mountaineers? Uh, let's go West Virginia offense. All right. Because I, ha- um, I have a trend that I noticed recently. Is, I it that Texas, about it. is it that Texas's defense gave up 57 to a backup quarterback that plays for Kansas? That is very, very recent that I just noticed. Okay. Yes, I, just, That's, I did just notice that. Yeah. Uh, and then again, lots of yards, lots of points, too. Um I, I just look at the talent on the defensive side and I'm thinking, how is this not good? I like their defensive coordinator. I thought that was a good hire, and I don't understand it. So explain to me, what trend am I missing that explains what's going on in the field? Well, I don't know about Texas' defense as far as the trend that, that is new to me, mm. but it's something that you've talked about. It's been it's been a hot topic for you and, and, and some of your film stuff and things we've talked about on here. But West Virginia's offense mm. has changed – how they run the ball. Correct. Very much changed. And it's, and I think, you know, one that what I'm talking about here is the, the zone and gap kind of runs that we've been talking about all year long for the first, what is that? The first seven games of the year, it was a 73 to 43 split in favor of zone runs. Mm -hmm. If you only count the first five games of the year, it was like two to one in favor of zone runs over gap in the last three games. West Virginia has run gap three times more than zone. So it's flipped from a two to one ratio of zone to gap to three to one ratio gap to zone. That is a pretty significant shift in, I don't want to say philosophy or scheme, I guess maybe a little bit scheme here, but what are you noticing with that? I mean, is some of that related to that kind of pistol look? Is that some of that gap stuff that they're blocking there? Yeah, they, they do pull their guards more. Uh, they do block down more. That's good, too. And not only are they doing this more, I've said this before, frequently your quarterback runs are going to be gap plays. And how much has Garrett Green played the last three games? Didn't play at all last game, and it did not play much the two before that. So it's not getting gimmicked up with the run. Those stats aren't getting gimmicked up by running the quarterback. It's because – that that little counter handoff that they're doing mm-hmm. where it looks like it's going right, but it comes back left. That's a gap play. Um, when they block down inside and they're trying to move somebody out of the way, that's a gap. play. It doesn't have to be a counter play or a power play. Like when you block down and you're trying to physically move somebody out of the way that like they've done, uh, they've been good like that. That's a lot of under center stuff and pistol stuff too. And I think it's because uh, two things, it, it hits quick and that means their line doesn't have to hold up as much. It also means that those edges aren't coming around. They don't have as much time. The handoff under center, the handoff in the pistol, that kind of cools off those edges because even if they come fast to the, the to the middle of the field, they know the handoff is going to be the ball's already gone and they're kind of hitting in the middle where their guard center guard have been the best part of their offensive line. So that those numbers back up probably what you've seen, but also what you would expect when you're trying to diagnose strengths and weaknesses from this deep, this offense. And that's that the middle of their offensive line is their best part right now. 
something else that kind of caught my eye, um, both with uh, my conversation with Taylor, but also speaking of the running, it's just great, perfect timing, bringing up the no Garrett Green thing. Mm-hmm. Um, quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks for Power 5 programs against Texas. Their combined stat line this year. This is, what, eight games? Or eight, yeah, eight games. Mm-hmm. 69 carries, 329 yards, and five touchdowns. And that is not sack-adjusted. So that includes all the negative sack yardage, which if you look at like a, you know a, a, an immobile-type quarterback, they're usually going to have maybe even negative rushing yards for the year. Instead, quarterbacks throughout this season are averaging five yards a carry, basically, and, and have scored a touchdown in five of the last seven games. Mm. Like if, if you have a mobile quarterback, Texas has a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. Do you think we see Green? He's no longer doubtful. He practiced. Sounds like he's going to keep practicing this week. I don't know why you wouldn't play him. I don't know why you wouldn't either. I mean, if that if that's the plan that you have, and that's the plan, you know, the only reason it was out last week was because he was out, then... Yeah, you do it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we we won't. I mean, we've we've said. I, I again, be clear. I we've said not mid. Get get rid of the mid drive stuff. That stuff's got to stop. I, I I don't don't stick with it. Has to be the third drive, even if the offense scores two touchdowns on the first two drives and is clicking. Like I, I don't know. Give yourself a little more flexibility. I think is just something I want to throw in there. Jared Daigie starts, correct? Yes. I think I don't know what the odds are in Vegas that Jared Diggy finishes. Be curious what that is. That might I don't know that that might be plus odds. I'm not sure because if they're down like if they're down 17 to three at the half, there's no way people are going to stick around for the third and fourth quarter with Diggy coming out to start the game. I don't think no matter the comeback against Kansas State. At this point, what are you doing? You're playing for your city. Stop doing the same thing. You're playing for your city. You're playing for your game. Your your season. I'm sorry. Uh, why would you continue with the plan that got you into this predicament where you're 30 minutes away from a seventh loss? Do something different, um, which leads me to this. Caden Prather's got to play. Tony Mathis has to play more because I'm not sure what type of shape Letty Brown is in at this point of the season or just after the game that he played last game. Not a fumbler. He was not exposed to the last game either. He put the ball on the ground twice. Those aren't things that he typically does. I wonder how healthy he was. Uh, he took some tough hits, too. Smacked his head off the mm-hmm. ground once, too. Um they're not going to rotate offensive linemen. I get that. They have another quarterback they could play, not just Garrett Green. I'm not advocating for three quarterbacks here. My point is that they have options that they have not exercised, and that at this point you have no reason not to exercise. Absent the offensive line, I get that. I wouldn't hate seeing Jaquay Hubbard, but realistically, how many more offensive linemen are you going to play? Eh, probably not. Personnel, plan, philosophy, whatever. How much variation do you want to see? Do you demand to see? Do you expect to see here in the 11th game of the season, the final home game of year three when people are antsy? Well, we've been calling for it all year, and if you haven't done it yet, and and, and your reasoning, I'm assuming here, is twofold. I mean, he, he's, Neil Brown has come out and said that he believes these are the guys that give his team the best chance to win right now. That is his belief. And when you're four and six, you can call into question whether you believe that or not, but it also still leaves you um, bowl eligible. Bowl, you're still in the bowl contention. So I think with that in mind, he's going to stick to it. I don't expect him to change that his point of view on that. I think he's going to stick with the same guys, and we'll see if he gets the same result, but I think he's going to stick with that at least for this game. Now, again, I think we touched on this in the Q&A podcast earlier in the week. If West Virginia falls to four and seven and is out of bowl contention and all that's left is Kansas, if you're still not making changes at that point for that final game, and I know you're going to say, who cares if you get in some reps against Kansas? It's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Get those guys in there. I'm talking a full game, full half for for a different quarterback, different linemen, different receivers, whatever it takes. You have to get those guys in there at that point. You can't go four and eight into the recruiting season either with four straight losses and a loss to Kansas. You can't. No, no. So you got to win. I get that. You can go five and seven as long as you beat Kansas. Um, and, and this season, listen, there's no shame in losing to Texas. There's there's something to be gained by beating them. I understand that because you beat a team that's no better than you. Really not. Literally the same record. And as we mentioned, similar problems. But if you lose to Texas, eh, 
okay, just don't get embarrassed. There's a Candace. That's embarrassing. I don't care about the margin. That's going to be bad because that shouldn't be happening if you have a healthy program. And if you don't, that's going to be an issue too. So I'm with you. I think it's a fascinating seesaw for him strategically, emotionally, because I think he'd love to change the fate and to change the outcome on offense. But I think I mentioned like the three players he could actually put in. Like who else is he going to play? Like maybe Green, maybe Crowder. Okay, I think that's, I don't think you're going to see Crowder unless they lose. So Mathis, Prather, who's probably going to play because we're not going to see Esdale, it sounds like, and we might not see Ryan, so he's going to play. I can't think of anybody else beyond Hubbard that you might see, and I'm not sure Hubbard's going to knock Yates off the field. I mean, just I'm <laughs> where are the answers here? People want, hey, give me change. Give me something new. You could do things differently, but you're asking the same players to do something different, which may not be advantageous at this point of the season. And then who are your new players? So the point then becomes, like you're saying, he, he really has to win. He has to get the six here and just kind of keep pushing that boulder up the mountaintop. That may be the the best idea, which may not be the most satisfactory idea either. Right. And that takes us back to the qu- other question we answered earlier in the week where somebody said something about the, uh, uh, you know, complaining about the lack of depth or whatever. Is that a good excuse? I said, it might be the the right answer. It might be the right excuse, I guess. The right answer, the right excuse, the reason, however you want to phrase it, that doesn't make it any better when it's year three. At this point, you know, lack of depth and and, and lack of options is no longer someone else's fault. Um, so I think, you know, yeah. I mean, you're right. I, who, who else are you bringing in at this point, especially on offense? Don't know. Defense, they're kind of being forced in, the younger guys at, at several positions. And then you're not really hearing any complaints about, you know, uh, not rolling in new defensive linemen there. Like, oh, let's see him and Russell. Like, him and Russell might end up being great, but so far the defensive line's been very good. Uh, so you're not you know, hearing people chime in for that one. But offensive side of the ball, you need to have other options. You need to find answers. Where to begin here for West Virginia's offense? Um they had a, a big, big problem blocking this defensive line. Uh, certainly two years ago, because they couldn't do anything running the ball. But last year, just they had a big issue. And then they're enormous. And I think the word that they used was humongous, uh, if not two coaches, and certainly one. And they can throw some 300-pounders at you, but also their ends are big guys, too. Um, they do not pressure sack the quarterback very much, which means they're not blitzing a whole lot or they're not blitzing very effectively and that their defensive line does not do a lot on their own or to facilitate others. You should figure that Jared Daigie is going to be able to stay safe, but they can't move these guys in the front and they really can't run the ball. That could be a problem, but this matchup, West Virginia's five, maybe six, if you count the tight end, versus Texas's three, and they're going to be three big guys here. Uh, How does this one shake out? Uh, like I said, Texas does not get after the quarterback. They rank 104th in the country in sacks right now. Um, it, it, what do we say? St- what's what's the opposite of strength versus strength? Uh, maybe that's what this is. Yeah. Because it's not like West Virginia has been keeping guys from getting to the quarterback, obviously. So um, who gets the get right game, I guess, is is what we'll, we'll go back to again since we keep talking about those over the last few weeks and – Anytime we talk about somebody getting right, it seems the other team gets right in that department. So one of these teams will feel better about themselves uh, in the trenches, whether West West Virginia's offensive line, which has struggled, or Texas's defensive front, which has not gotten pressure on the quarterback. So, yeah, that's that's a key matchup, but a little bit of a slap fight there between two, two weak units. So kind of do like West Virginia and play an odd front um, and tackle – knows so similar to West Virginia they call it and tackle tackle now but starting you're gonna have six five three oh two six three two eighty five and then six two three forty five the backups well listen they're gonna go a little bit more speed in their backup and slash jack six two two thirty six so the starters three oh two the backups two thirty six obviously there's some strategy there the backup defensive tackle you go from six three two eighty six to six four three oh six and then the backup knows, well, you go from 6'2", 346 to 6'4", 335. And the backup is Tavondre Sweat, who was a monster last year. They had a hard time with him. They're still talking about him on WVU's offensive staff because he was that good. Um, and they're, they're run stoppers. They Sweat and Moro Ojomo 
had the nice. two highest run grades on the team, and they have a ton of stops, which is a pro football focus metric for individually winning the play. So keeping the offense from doing something positive, and there's a measure of, I think, maybe three-yard gain or something like that. Those two have a lot because they're involved in a ton. They're really hard to move. They eat up blockers. They make plays. Yeah, and when, and when you look at the, the guys that are getting pressure, this is something that is going to be important for Zach Frazier here because – one, Texas rotates in some guys on that defensive line. Two, a lot of the guys that are actually the, – the few guys that are getting sacks, that are getting pressure on the quarterback for Texas are typically the linebackers, which means they're going to be coming in on on a presumably blitzes or or some kind of twisting – well, I mean, defensive lineman twist, but Frazier has to be able to call out, and, and Daigie needs to recognize um, – what Texas is doing on defense. So Frazier will be in charge of the blocking and who who has the assignments, but Daigie has to also be able to recognize it and and I guess opt out uh, to a different play or hot read or something because it looks like Texas comes from different angles to get pressure on the few times that they do. Look at some of the numbers here for opponents rushing the ball against Texas. First game, 76 yards for Louisiana Lafayette. After that, are you ready for this? 333 for Arkansas, 144 for Rice, 128 for Texas Tech, 169 for TCU, 339 for Oklahoma, 220 for Oklahoma State, 231 for Baylor, 175 for Iowa State, 218 for Kansas. Um, Over 200 yards a game rushing. In fact, 203.3 yards per game rushing. That's not going to get it done. Um, The trouble is that along the same time, they've given up no less than 128 passing yards, so Rice 128. But you're looking again here, big numbers here, 282, 138, 128, 392, 182, 323, 178, 196, 301, 202, 230 yards a game. So you're talking 430 yards of offense, almost evenly split. You kind of pick your, not pick your point, you pick your poison, you pick your candy here, which one you want to do. And teams just haven't had a hard time running the ball against them. Um can West Virginia do that? If you look at the times that West Virginia has played a bad rush offense, um, it's been promising. They obviously figured some things out in that TCU game. Everybody's very excited. Kind of took a break, ran to a rushing offense that wasn't good, and treated that rush defense that wasn't good like it wasn't good and had success. Trouble is, since then, 122 yards, picked their spots against Iowa State, um, I wouldn't worry about the total yardage as much as I would say that they ran for 4.21 yards per carry. Since then, um, two pretty good rush defenses, a total of 94 yards, 17 against Oklahoma State, 77 against Kansas State. So uh, I don't know. I, this is the, the, this to me is a really big deal because um, I just I just feel like at this point you're putting the game in Jared Daigie's hands. You kind of understand that you're going to have to really massage things to get the outcome you want. If you can run the ball, you can open things up, but. Until West Virginia finds a way to scare somebody with their running game, you you know how to guard their passing game. Even without pressure, you kind of know how to do it. And then if this turns into a don't let them do anything deep, play short, run underneath, tackle, no broken tackles, Ken Daigie and the offense go up the field without incomplete passes, overthrown passes, penalties, TFLs, and, and be effective. Can they do stuff for, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 plays without a penalty, without something negative that sets them back because – when they back up, they have a hard time moving forward again. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's uh, a safe, um, safe analysis there, Mike. Uh, going backwards, not good for this offense because I don't think they have the breakaway kind of plays that that you need to get out of that hole. And um, I was actually just looking right before we hopped on here about some of those breakaways for Letty Brown. Picked up a couple more recently with those gap schemes, but even breakaways for runs, you know, that that's not going to be the big plays that you need to get out of a penalty induced or negative big sack or something kind of hole. So, um, yeah, West Virginia is going to have to win those early downs and, and shorten things up against this Texas defense for um, uh, for, for shorter third and, and, and short opportunities. Here we are talking about their gap plays and their stuff that they've been able to do in the middle. I mentioned their size and the the depth they have. This is one position where they are kind of deep, at least to their strength of being big and being able to do put bodies there to stop the run. They're not a great run defense, but 
kind of feel like they're going to have to be able to stretch and run outside zone and plays outside. That could be the touch passes, the hot potato passes. That could be sweeps, jet sweeps or receivers. That could also mean just hoping Lady Brown can stretch it outside and hit outside zone plays. Uh, I don't know that you can expect a man up and play this one between the tackles. So we'll see how effective they get. But also, maybe, maybe under center, pistol, they can hit it fast in the middle and start to move people because there were spurts last week where Lady Brown was good and they were able to move Kansas State's defense, which, again, an odd front that has talent-wise, I'm not sure, but at least similar personnel when you come to size and strength there, too. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A big injury for Texas, though. Um, Starting cornerback, who we're told is very good, but has had an eventful season this year, too. Who and what is Texas missing, and what might this mean to West Virginia? Yeah, Thompson, their starting cornerback, uh, out for the rest of the year. Sounded like it was a big deal, you know, starter, all this stuff. So I started looking into, hey, you, if if he is their their key starter in this secondary, when this this secondary has been pretty weak um, through as a whole, maybe it's a case of other teams recognizing that he's a strength and going other ways, uh, going throwing to the other side of the field. And if he's gone, this will open things up from, you know, West Virginia having two thirds of a field to throw to to maybe the whole field to throw to. But it turns out that Thompson was targeted more than anybody else in the Texas secondary. Um, teams were completing at a 70% rate when throwing in his direction. And they had a rating, an NFL quarterback rating of 115 when throwing to players that he was defending. So I'm not entirely sure how big, I mean, and so, sometimes, and, and there are people who are listening to this, there are people on our board that, that say every time we put together one of these PFF report cards, that this is voodoo, this is, you know, whatever, they don't they don't trust it. <laughs> so it's it's not perfect. We all agree on that. But that seems pretty telling to me that, that other teams are still targeting and throwing his way and and finding success. So I don't know how big of a loss that is right now. Obviously the B. John Robinson one, which we'll we'll talk about more in a bit, is, is a big one. But that that is another loss in the secondary for this Longhorns team. Yeah. I'm waiting for West Virginia's intermediate passing game to take off again. I really think they miss Sam James. I don't know what's up with him, but that's the guy who had the arrow pointed in the right direction earlier in the season and just, just hasn't been, he hasn't been visible really lately, just some, some small plays. And he's been eh, after then just not the, the, I think, what was it? Four touchdowns in the first three games, something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Inflated by LIU, but he, he was a guy that needed to have his stats and his confidence inflated. And you wonder where it went. Hasn't happened. Winston, Wright. He gets a lot of attention from the defense. I get that, but he's he's still fast enough, and you, you just find a way to get him the ball, and I don't think that's happened nearly enough. Reese Smith may be an answer there, too. Better thin in that position, I understand that, but teams teams have picked on their linebackers this year, too. They play three of them, but the two that really get a lot of attention and coverage because they're a Mike and a Will, they're not that, that Sam that does some of the blitzing in like a bandit kind of way. Uh, Luke Brockermeyer opponents are 24 receptions on 32 targets. Uh, DeMar- DeMarvian Overshawn, who's a little bit banged up, it looks like. Played a lot of football there. He's having a very good year. Uh, when he gets targeted, opponents have 23 receptions on 25 targets there. These are numbers on paper. What do they mean? You know, sometimes that stats lie. They tell a story. But sometimes if you listen, stats can tell you something. If teams are finding a way to manipulate this defense that gives up a ton of yards and points, that might say something to you, too. Uh, Brockermeyer, two touchdown passes allowed. Overshawn, one touchdown pass allowed. Those are guys you might be able to pick on the red zone. Those are those are guys that may have to be in charge of, you know, Letty Brown coming out of the backfield. If they man up like that, West Virginia's pretty good about drawing things up. If they get Brown out of the backfield or if they get somebody who's going to find a way to be matched up against the linebacker, they use those formations three on one side. They bunch it every now and then. Hey, maybe the tight end rolls out and is open in the flat. But if you're going to have to play underneath against these guys, and if you're going to just kind of march a little bit and do what you do, that's fine. But I also wonder about manipulating those linebackers because they're so bad against the run that all of a sudden you start to create some one-on-ones and you put their safeties in conflict too. You, you put a backup corner out there, 
you probably have to help him out the safety a little bit. Um, their safeties are not great playmakers either. So not a lot of interceptions back there, and it's kind of been an issue for them too with giving up big plays, and you've seen people run by him before too. Yeah, I was, I'm glad you brought up the, the big plays and the, and the turnover thing. They are middle of the pack nationally for turnovers gained and, and turnover margin. They have a negative turnover margin on the year, and they've taken 14 turnovers from opposing teams. But only, what, one, two, three, four of them have come in the last four games, So and, and only one in the last two. Also, did you know they have not forced a fourth-quarter turnover since the season opener in a blowout that, you know, a turnover that didn't even matter. Mm. Like, it's just not, there hasn't been that game-defining or that game-ending interception, that big, you know, fumble-forcing swing and momentum in the fourth quarter that, you know, you end up scoring a touchdown instead of them, that kind of thing. And, and you know, hey, West Virginia hasn't exactly been great at in the turnover margin either, but... Uh, that that's something that caught my eye that you're just not making plays in the fourth quarter. You're not getting turnovers just hasn't happened all year long. Yeah. And their losing streak. They've turned it over 11 times. They're minus six in turnover margin. So they'll give it to you and they don't take it back very much. Uh, they haven't picked, they picked off two passes against Baylor and those are kind of strange, but none in the last two games. And those are teams that are kind of careful with their passing too. They did get carved up by Jalen Daniels. So that's, Again, there's there's something there about their defenses doesn't make a lot of plays. And again, here we go talking about something that we've heard out of the West Virginia coaches about their players this year too. So I don't know that'd be something to to keep an eye on there too. Got to catch passes when they're thrown to you, Chris. If you get open, got to catch it. This is good advice. We we, we would make excellent coaches. Catch the ball when it's thrown your way. Been proven that for quite some time now, right? <laughs> Flip the side. I, I, hey, when we put our resume together, should we just like? take these recordings and, and send it to the university? Is that what we should do? I think they have them. <laughs> I think they have that. Them. I have no doubt. Yeah. Let's go to the offensive side for Texas. And this is where it gets scary for West Virginia. They average 38 points a game and they've lost these games by six, seven, 23 and one point um, in their losing streak here. So they're not getting boat raced a lot. They lost with a seven point game against Iowa state. If you're West Virginia, that's encouraging because you scored 38 on them, a one by seven. They scored seven, lost by 23. So something's up with that offense, right? No way. That's definitely the outlier. If you look at their per game, per play numbers, very promising. And then just to get it out of the way, yeah, they miss B. John Robinson. Uh, I'm going to miss B. John Robinson. I really want to see him play because he's just fun to watch. And then I don't know if it's the accumulation of the season or if it's one hit in particular, but you break an elbow. Um, he'd, he'd been having a hard time holding the ball, too. So I don't know if that was persistent or not. But he's out now, and then I, I I don't care what the West Virginia coaches say about how they have talent and they recruit the position really well. They do not have – I mean, they have another Robinson. They don't have another Bijan Robinson. That dude's really good. There's no way that West Virginia doesn't benefit from that absence. They should not get beat on the ground Saturday. Absolutely not. And I was looking at – well, one, it's it's very difficult to determine what they're going to be as an offense without Robinson. You know, we, we sit here and we look at all these advanced statistics. We make predictions on how they're going to go. We say, hey, look, this is what they've done before. This is what we're going to do now. Who, who knows? I mean, Robinson literally accounts for one out of every three yards that they gain on offense. West Virginia has no one even close to that number. Um, so, you know, what, what Letty Brown is about 950 out of like one in fours, like 20-some percent maybe. Out of that, like that, that's as good as it gets. Um, and Robinson is a threat in, on the ground, in the air. They are a run dominant team overall, 43 to 57. Um, or past the run, you know, run 57% of the time. Uh, really running on the first couple of downs. Uh, first down, that number is 62% run on first down for Texas. 56% on second down. Doesn't flip until you get to third down when it's it's 55-45 the other way. Will that be the same without Robinson? It's hard to tell because from what I uh, got from my conversation with Taylor that I keep referencing, she also told me that their backup running my back might be out as well. Yeah. He was banged up and he might not be playing. So then you're getting to the third string running back, which ironically, 
West Virginia is extremely familiar with in Roshan Johnson, who ran for what, 100, 121 yards and a couple touchdowns two years ago. So I don't know. I just don't know how much that offense is going to change without Robinson in there. They have a good offensive line. They don't have an offensive line that you just plug a guy in behind him and you get that production. They just don't. Like you're, you're losing a physical, I, I mean, elite running back back there. And he was still getting tackled, right? So it's not like you're just going to create magic alleys for, you know, somebody else to run into. They do have players. What can they do? Don't know. We'll see. Roshan Johnson is a converted quarterback who's got 300 yards this year. He does average over six. And, yeah, he had a great game against West Virginia. I think he has over 1,300 yards in his career. So that's good. The ones to watch probably are Keelan Robinson. That was a former, like, four-star top 247 guy who played for Alabama. He's averaging over seven yards a carry this year, 27 carries. And then a true freshman, uh, Jonathan Brooks, 21 carries, 143 yards, but 6.81 yards per carry. So the three guys who will or may carry the ball average between 6.26 and 7.19 yards per carry on somewhere between 21 and 50 attempts. So not a lot of action for them, but not a lot of reason for all of them to be involved here, too. I, I wonder if we'll see three running backs and maybe they try to find a hot hand because you don't know what you have in Brooks or maybe even Robinson until you get him going. You kind of have an idea with Johnson. This is his third year in the program, but I, I kind of expect because they want to run so much, as you mentioned, that 57% is alarming. Um, I imagine all three of those guys are going to run, and the quarterback can run a little bit too. Not He's not a, a runner in the sense, but he can scramble, but they do some stuff with him. But I, I, I really would be surprised if we don't see all three of those guys get handoffs in the first half. Are you ready for the uncomfortable part of this conversation, one that West Virginia fans may not want to want to hear? Yeah, put it that okay. way, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, when someone asks you what the strength is of this West Virginia defense, uh, I think – we all kind of just say the run defense, right? Defensive sure. line, yeah. In the first six games of the year, West Virginia allowed 175 carries for 442 yards, 2.5 yards per carry. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Fantastic. In the last six games, 172 carries, so almost exactly the same, 823 yards and 4.78 yards per carry. Almost double the yardage, double the average in the same amount of carries. And a ton of 10-yard runs, too. A ton. Like It it, it makes me wonder, like, is, is the defense getting tired, or is it just better competition? Is it different running schemes? Is it just a few big plays? And even if it is just a few big plays, that's also an issue. So that's something to take note of, because this is a six-game trend now of the run defense going from top 10 in the country to bottom third of the country um, pretty quick. So it's something to keep an eye on. Concerned about the damage that Deuce Vaughn did in between the tackles last game, too. That's a guy that I did not think was going to beat them outside, and he really didn't. But he he made his big runs in the middle, too. That's interesting. And and let's get to the big, big issue, the, the gigantic fluorescent arrow pointing over the WVU defense. They're running out of linebackers. Like, I imagine they'll play some even front, if not to combat a little bit, but just because they don't have a way to play three linebackers behind them all the time. Like, let's let's be frank here. I'm not sure you're going to see Vandarius Cowan, right? right? I'm not sure how much trust they have in him or, or pleasure they have in him, but even if he is, that, that guy hasn't been, like, a run stopper in his career or any type of disruptive force, so that doesn't really help you necessarily. So him, Bartlett, whatever, that's, that's just a position on the field, but the mic and the will have to be run stoppers in this. They don't have a will. Their will is their mic, which means if you put Josh Chandler at will, you're probably moving your your best defensive player, not defensive line category. You're moving him to a position that he's not good at, so you can play Deshaun Stevens. Okay, that doesn't make sense to me. So I think we're gonna see like a lot of like four, one, five, or like three, one, six. Is that no three, one, seven? Right. So yeah. I don't. So wait a minute. Let's see. Four one six and three one seven. Although God, I don't know. Maybe we'll see four one five. It's the eleventh game of the season where a whole bunch of things have gone haywire. But I, I wonder how many times you'll see one linebacker out there, and, and maybe it isn't even Chandler at some spots. But like you're probably going to see a lot of Jackie Matthews and, and Scotty Young asked to help against the run. Um, I'm sure they'll play the bandit because they're going to have to. But I don't think that's been a position they've been pleased with, and they haven't played it sometimes because of personnel and matchups too. And the way that, you know, you have the tight ends and sometimes the 12 personnel, 
you kind of take away that weak side pass rush and that weak side pursuit because they're going to play a tight end on each side. So I, I'm curious how Jordan Leslie does this, and I'm 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 not putting an excuse out there, but he's really coaching with handcuffs this week. Yeah, this is this is going to get strange. I think it's going to be a lot like that game a couple years ago um, that that we keep referencing. Was it Kansas State or TCU? I keep forgetting. Or was, was it Baylor? Was it Baylor where there was like a, yeah where it was like three yeah, it was somewhere at the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. That's forever ago. Um, where they were running. What what were, what did we end up saying that was a four two five? Was it a three? Uh, three two six yeah it was like that strange like that they had they added an extra defensive back it was noah guzman wasn't it yeah yeah guzman was the was the new linebacker quote unquote that they they replaced it because they just didn't have linebackers and i think we ended up in a similar spot that this defense is going to have to figure something out like that get creative and you know sometimes maybe that works maybe it's just get your best 11 on the field but against a team that's so run heavy you don't really want a sixth defensive back out there. Like no. maybe you want six defensive backs against like Texas tech. If they're slinging the ball all over the place, but you don't want six defensive backs trying to go up against a massive offensive line and a team that runs the ball almost 60% of the time. Mm-hmm. I have a suggestion. Go. Kansas tight end. Jerry Casey had never played walk on. He's only like traveling because Kansas is totally beat up at tight end, had not been on the field, is thrown in to play the R position on the two-point conversion play, and ad-libs, rolls around, does jump a jacks to the end zone, catches it, they win the game. Clearly, Texas has a blind spot for walk-ons who never played. Oh, God. Give me Will Schoonover. Give me Caden Beiser. Someone's going to strip six Casey Thompson to win this game. Excuse me, I think Caden's played... So, he's okay, out. Well, <laughs> okay, fine. But my point being that they have a blind spot for the walk-on, and what a story this would be at the end here. But listen, this is this is gonna be hard. I don't know. Like, I we'll see. Like, I expect a lot of even. We'll see how much they use the bandits and, and how much they can matter. But I think you're gonna see probably the, by default some Deshaun Stephen at middle, and Josh Chandler Samita moved out to Will, but probably Chandler Samita with surrounded by some defensive backs who were just trying to help. And listen, their their safeties haven't been good in the run this year in the run game. So they ask going to fit a lot as it is. They probably have to do a little bit more. And then man, they start running the ball and those safeties creep in. Then Thompson's pretty good on play action. It could be problematic. Um, that'll be that'll be trip, difficult to watch. And they're just so thin now too that uh, listen, they don't have a even if Dixon plays, which it doesn't sound like he's limited. No X reload. They don't have a backup mic behind um, Deshaun Stevens. So if they do move Chandler to Will for some time. They better hope that Stevens is good because they don't have another person there. Corners, you're pretty much down to the two you have. You can play Malachi Ruffin. That's a scholarship player, but he doesn't play very much. And safety, I mean, they're just they're they're putting backups in based on who can redshirt still. So, I mean, they they played like 19 guys on defense the past couple of weeks. I think it's going to be under that obviously now because they've lost another one. But they might have to get bigger and really creative to do that. So, but then again, similar to the offense, where are your solutions here? They're they're that thin right now at this late of the season. It's tough, and it's really going to limit the different things you can try. Like as as far as the scheme goes, as far as your play calling, um, I I just don't know. I I think I think Scotty Young actually has the body and the mentality to kind of play up in the box, but you kind of want him as that safety that's playing in the box, not as another linebacker. So yeah, it's going to be tough. Could be creative here too. Um, Prather as a Z, big game for him because that's the type of player you're waiting on the coaches to let go. And they put him in a new spot. They give him a chance. Four catches, 60 yards. Let's, again, let's let's be realistic. Uh, not a pattern of performance here, but certainly one performance begets the chance to have a second. But he's got to matter here because he's going to play. He may start. He may play a lot at that position. Whether or not Ryan plays, we'll see. But is it too much too soon? Is it too unfair to expect another four for 60 out of him? Or is that a guy who can get going? And then, you know, at this point, who cares if after the game they're saying, hey, we should have played this guy later? Because that means he did something good at least. That's a guy I really want to watch because he's got confidence and he's going to have an opportunity. No, I think I think this is four for 60. That's something he could replicate. I don't think that was a one-time thing or, or, you know, something that 
a one-time thing for being only a freshman. I think he can do that again as a freshman. I think he can do it again this game. I think he can do it again next game. Um, he is an elite-type talent. He is a legitimate, would you say, 6'3"? I mean, you both uh, both of us have stood right next to him. Um, mm-hmm. 6'3", and like a solid 215. I mean, he looked like a grown man when he stepped on campus last year. And he combines that size with the athletic ability and speed to get open. And really, I don't, I don't want to diminish what he's done or what wide receivers do, but if you have that combination of size, speed, and athleticism, you get a handful, you get a little route tree, that's it. Just get open, catch the ball. Again, elite coaching here. Get open, catch the ball. He can do that, and I think he and, and I think he will be able to do that. And you're right. I think it's going to be very important, especially if he's playing that Z position, because when he is playing, God, I forget what letter it is that, that you know when he's backing up Bryce Ford Wheaton. What letter is X. that? X. That is very rarely, if ever, a quick route. That that is the blind side to the quarterback, so it is often a slow developing route or a deep ball. And yes, he can do that. But you have your opportunity to try to get your separation or even if you don't get separation, try to make your play one on one when you're in that Z receiver or one of the slot spots, you can get a quick one. You can get a hot route. You can get a tall screen and you're going to get things and you have to be able to win your one on one battle quickly, very quickly, which is a little more difficult than if you're playing that X receiver on the blind side and just trying to get downfield. So I think that is something that. I, I certainly believe he can do it, but that is something different when you talk about, hey, what's the difference between Z and X? Who cares? That's a big one right there. That's a great point. And when they miss Esdale, they miss that screen player because, one, he's fearless. Obviously, that's why he's not playing probably. He's fearless and he doesn't care about going in and hurting himself too. But um, they miss that part of the offense, and Texas does get screened quite a bit. So that would be a good one there too. Uh I'd love to see the slot go deep on a screenplay because I think teams are waiting to jump on that screenplay again for West Virginia. Sam James, Reese Smith, go deep, we'll see. Uh, another player who may play a lot, we'll see, and who may have to play a lot. I'm not saying he's a solution, but he could figure into things here too. If Scotty Young is playing a lot of will, um, if Jackie Matthews has moved around and he's out of spear, we might see some St. McLeod. I'm not sure if it's a Davis Mallinger day or if it's a Caleb Coleman day. It sounds like they flip a coin to figure out who's going to play one of these last two games, but uh, any expectations for those players apart from snaps and just gobbling up moments for other players to take a breath or to play out of position briefly? Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I was just putting up the Justin Williams story. I hate to uh, break it to anybody that wasn't paying attention um, on the on the site as this was breaking as we were recording. Um, but I missed that, Mike. Can you repeat it? Can we, can we stop for a second? Because I was furtively sending you DMs being like, uh, yeah. hey, Justin Williams is decommitted. It's it's after 7 here on Wednesday night. We're recording this. We usually do this in the afternoon. But uh, so we we, we kind of kept the the curtain closed here and no one could see Oz behind it. But now you've just totally blown up our spot. Well, so And you know why it started? <laughs> and you know why I didn't realize it right at the beginning? Because you give me so much crap for my phone going off the moment that we start every podcast. So I put my phone on do not disturb. So I don't even get a, a vibrate, nothing. I get nothing if any text, uh, tweets, whatever. Uh-huh. So I didn't see him put it up because we had already started recording and my phone was on do not disturb. And I got all these PFF numbers in my notes from my research up and you're messaging me and I'm not getting it. I didn't see anything until you sent me the message over Skype so that it popped up on my screen while we were recording. So well, nobody give me grief for talking too much because I was intentionally stretching. So you would have time <laughs> to write and edit and find a photo and get the story up and everything. My question though, was that we talked about Prather being a guy who may play more. They don't have a ton of options on defense, but it does sound like that if they do move Scotty young around, if they have to have Jackie Matthews play multiple spots like corner, for example, he's their third corner right now. You might see St. McLeod play some spear. They like that. Um, and then it sounds like either Coleman or Mallinger, they'll flip a coin and figure out who gets the honors, and then that person will play, and the other person will sit out this one and play next game. Um, any expectation for a McLeod or a Coleman slash Mallinger at this point, apart from just gobbling up snaps and giving somebody either a breather or a chance to play out of position briefly? No disrespect to those guys, but I, I think it's just the breathers at this point. I think that's all you can really expect from them uh, getting thrown in at a moment like this. And yeah, I, I think that's the extent of it right now. I think even, even older guys, even guys more experienced, like um, you move up a level to Deshaun Stevens, 
I, I think his situation is different, obviously, as him being a graduate transfer, being older. But also, I'm curious where he fits because I, th- I feel like just based off what he did at Maine and his body type, that he might be more of a bandit guy. And now there's a need for not a bandit necessarily, but more of a mic. And who knows what you're going to move all these guys around. So honestly, I don't know who gets to come in and who gets to do anything more than just, like you said, eat up a few snaps and give a guy a breather. Yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting one. Um, listen, you recruit these guys to play him. Like a guy like Stevens, you bring on for one year. If not, Saturday win. Like, that's why you have him. I mean, even even if he's not a guy who's going to play for every game, he's behind glass and you break that glass and you have an emergency. This sounds like one. So if, if he's not ready, uh, I'm not calling into to question their history of transfers here, but that would not be a check mark for Stevens right now. Um, so but he's got to matter if he has to matter there, too. Finally, let's wrap it up. Very popular question, Chris. Uh, I'm not going to talk about their kicker, who's their punter, and absolutely awesome. Um, Let's instead talk about the other part of the game that we'll be talking about afterwards. Win or lose, who or what affects the outcome and has us bubbling in the postgame podcast? Letty Brown. Mm-hmm. I think this is this is a defense that he can eat up both running the ball and catching the ball out of the out of the backfield. I think this switch to more of a gap scheme has been beneficial to him. I think in part because he gets to I th- I, I'm assuming it's more because he's getting more downhill, getting more of a, a runway before he gets to the line of scrimmage, because if you also look at, at his some of his numbers, his yards after contact. And that was an area where I was really dogging him early in the year because it was it was bad. Like it was it was worse than it was at any point during his career, which is not something you would expect during his senior season. I mean, he was averaging about two yards of contact or two yards after contact per attempt through the first five games, six games. Since then, the number's almost all the way up to three. Uh, and you may say, ah, it's one yard. When you, that's a big difference when you're talking yards after contact per attempt. I mean, he's he's forced more missed tackles through the first set, six games of the year. He had, he had not forced more than two or three missed tackles every game. Every game was two or three. Since then, his missed tackles, five, eight, four, five. Hmm. Interesting. He, he's he's making guys miss. He's getting yards after contact. And I think you see it a little bit. I mean, his his yards per rush has gone up a little bit. He's had two 100-yard games when he only had one before that. But I think this is a game where he could really, truly kind of break free and have a big one. If they really feed him, and especially if they can kind of get ahead, and they you know how West Virginia is wont to do, of, of try not to lose and deflate the ball. I think they could really hand him the ball a lot and get him some big runs on Saturday. I'm going to stick with offense, go to the other side. If B. John Robinson was the one-man gang before, as you mentioned, large majority of the yards go to him. Not large majority, but he is most responsible for the yardage on this team. If the one-man gang is out of the ring, how big is Xavier Worthy now? <laughs> the man who got 20, was it 25 tackles? I didn't, I didn't even double-check. I know they mentioned it on the... Um, on during the broadcast, but I never actually checked to see what the final number was. True freshman receiver targeted 23 times, 14 receptions, 152 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Robinson didn't play in a lot of that game. Kansas's defense is obviously suspect, but this is a guy that they try to get the ball a bunch. Um, he may have some help. Jordan Whittington may be back. That's a talented guy who is number two on the team in receptions, yards, touchdowns now. He's missed a couple of games. He could be back even if he is. There's no way that guy's scaring you when Xavier Worthy is on the field too. What he does versus what West Virginia does or how West Virginia schemes him to stop him because they're going to move him around different sides of the field, slot, reverses, touch passes. They're going to use him in a way like a running back where they only have so many weapons on offense now that he's the guy. And 23 targets indicates that they are – Fully sunk in on this. Let's get this guy the ball one way or the other. The quarterback has an eye for him, and he can make plays. So they're going to have to find him. They're going to have to follow him around. They're going to have to, I don't know, do they bracket him? Do they play over-under? What are they going to do? That guy can't beat you. Like, he can't because it's not Robinson that's not beating you. That's beating you. The tight end isn't going to beat you. Maybe Whittington beats you if he has an out-of-this-world game. But the one guy that you know can, can't do it. So I think that a big thing after this game will be how how worthy performs and how no, I'm not going to say it. How uh, how 
reputable West Virginia's plan was to stop him because I think that's a guy you have to have a plan around just because of the state of that offense right now. It doesn't, it does a lot of things well, but only has a couple people who can do it at this point of the season. I mean, a lot of these offensive numbers we rattle off are with and because of Robinson. Cross him off. He's not there. So you don't fear Roshan Johnson, Keelan Robinson, Jonathan Brooks like you feel B. John Robinson. So worthy obviously jumps up. You can't let that guy do it to you. So how he performs, how the offense responds, and then conversely, what West Virginia's defense does, how it schemes, and how it succeeds or fails, I think is going to be capital T talking point after the game. All right, so I got two things I wanted to touch on real quick. Uh, one is a question on something you were just talking about, too. I wanted to go back to the um, the cut of the total offensive yards, and I said, you know, B. John Robinson is 33%. I was trying to give a comparison for Letty Brown, 25% for Letty Ooh. Brown, total yards from scrimmage, which is also very high. I started picking out random guys that are among the, you know, rushing leaders and receiving leaders to find out where they fit on their respective teams. The only one I could, the only two I could pull off um, that were higher than Robinson. Just to, again, these are national leaders in rushing and receiving. So these aren't just 10 randoms. Um, Kenneth Walker, the third from Michigan State, and Sean Tucker from Syracuse. So it, it's a large chunk that, that Texas is losing with Bijan Robinson gone. I mean, again, Letty Brown counts for a fourth uh, for 25%. Uh, Bijan Robinson up at over 33%. Um, second part was a question for you on something you just talked about there. Mm-hmm. With Worthy, it, I was trying to I was trying to think this in my mind, but you you are you're X's and O's guy here. When you have a guy, one receiver, that is targeted that much, is it easier for West Virginia's defense to cover him because of a zone, or would you rather have a man defense, like well, if you, you have got- like a very heavy load to one person? Yeah, like you only got three corners on. If you're chasing him up and down the field twenty five times, you're going to wear out your corners. Um, I think he could play like man under with a cover two or cover three. West Virginia doesn't play a lot of three, I guess. So like you're not going to do quarters if you're playing man, but could you do like man cover two? You could do cover three. They do that every so often, but that means you're moving that safety out. Uh, boy, that's a tough one. I think, I think I'd probably go zone just to confuse it. And that gives you a chance. Like I say, play over under to bracket him a little bit. It makes him work a little bit more. It keeps a lid on him. He's not going to one play drive you. And, I'm not scared of their running game. So if your eyes for your defensive backs are, if you got six eyes on Worthy instead of two or four eyes instead of two, you're not going to have so many players pulled out of position against a big run. So now unless Roshan Johnson or Keelan Robinson or Jonathan Brooks changes this and all of a sudden they start gashing 12, 15, 20-yard runs because you got people who are watching, you know, in man-to-man or whatever – then you change it a little bit. But, but I think if you're in zone, you're not too worried about that. You'll have eyes who can watch him and go, and and you can go get the running back if you realize it's not a passing play. So I would I would probably go zone more than man. Okay. that's a, Again, just off the top of my head, I was thinking those bracketing like you were talking about with the second guy might be good, but didn't know if the tight man coverage might be better than leaving some open spots. It was, it was just something I was thinking about. So glad I could run it by the expert here. Then who's who's bracketing? A die? <laughs> Mahone, like we'll see. I mean, that's obviously going to be where they are on the field and where he is. But to those, ah, man, those guys have given up some plays this year too. So we'll see. Yeah, should be in there. Interesting. Should be a fun post game, Chris. Can't wait to see what shape I'm in for that one. What shape everybody else is in after this one here? Noon, ESPN two, West Virginia, Texas, ho hum, two four and six, two and five teams, but only one can go to a bowl game. I think they're going to probably say that a bunch before we kick off, right? Absolutely. How many? Wait. How many uh, clips of the Tavon Austin in in Austin play do you think we'll see? Ooh, and, or and, the Gary Jennings catch too. Yeah, I was, I was about to say or Greer to Jennings. Yeah. Well, what about who? Who was the offensive lineman that caught a touchdown pass a couple of years ago against them? Oh uh, God. Uh, Sam Connor, Cosby. What, oh Cosby. I was about to yeah. say Connor Williams, but it wasn't Williams. Let's see that one. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. So yeah, there's been some there's been some highlights in this series. So maybe we get a couple more. We'll find out Saturday afternoon. Until then, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.